Well, we're in 2 Timothy today. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we are going to pick back up um, as we've, um, yeah, I've, the times that I've been up here, um, and I've been trying to stick to 2 Timothy just because, you know, I know this church values it and I value it. I think that going through a book of the Bible is really valuable for all of us and being able to see the context and build upon it and being able to see the threads of the gospel that Paul weaves through his letters, especially one to Timothy, his last, his last letter that he writes before his death um, in, in 2 Timothy. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We are going to be covering verses 8 through 13. That's our text this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 8 through 13. So here's what we're going to do, just to set the, set the stage, lay the groundwork. We're going to read the text, we're going to pray, and then I've got to, I have uh, kind of three points that I want to pull out of um, this text today, and then we'll have some application and then we'll, uh, we'll worship together um, and eat some donuts. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is I've been doing this with, I've been doing this for 2 Timothy. It doesn't work always, but every week I'm going to read from the beginning of the letter through the text that we're in. And the primary reason for that is I would spend that time telling you what's going on in 2 Timothy. So we might as well just read it so you guys can see it for yourself. And I think it's great for us to be able to sort of feel that context as we run into the text. So by the time we hit the last, you know, the last chapter, I'll be speaking for 10 minutes and then we'll be going home. But it, it's like, it's fun for me to be able to build that, build that context uh, through the Bible itself. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting verse 1, we're going to go through verse 13 of chapter 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been, made, been, made, been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I, know who I, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all, of who, all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Philagius and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, 
and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, and it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much um, for your faithfulness, God, in our lives. God, thank you that you are a God that we know to be faithful, that you have proven out uh, to be faithful. God, not only by being able to look at your word, but being able to look, look at the work that you've done even in our very lives. God, I pray that you would speak <coughs> through, uh, through your word today. God, that uh, your Holy Spirit would work in each and every one of our hearts and each and every one of our minds. God, that you would renew us today. God, that you would bring us, that you would convict us of our sin, that you would bring us, God, to repentance. And God, that we would see the joy that comes in being able to take our sin to you. We would be able to see the joy that comes through remembering what you have done. God, and, and the joy that comes through trusting you and you alone. God, we love you and, and we thank you and we praise you. God, be with us this morning. We ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. All right. So like what we had said, we just kind of covered the context, but just even the, the more higher level, if you haven't been here you, or if you've missed a handful of these, Second Timothy is a letter that was written from Paul to his protege, Timothy. And this is the last letter that Paul wrote before he um, went on to be with the Lord. So this was the last sort of will and testament, if you will, of Paul. And he's talking about things that are very important to him that he's passing on to Timothy. Now, Timothy, as we kind of picked up through reading the beginning of, of 2 Timothy, Timothy was a timid person. He, he was sort of an anxious person. He wasn't somebody who was bold and outgoing and charismatic, but rather he had a lot of anxiety and insecurities about the sort of the role that he was going to be filling as Paul's sort of like right-hand man. So we go from Paul being somebody who's written like the bulk of the New Testament, and he's handing this over to this like, Young, weak, insecure guy that has stomach issues, you know, because he's got to drink wine. And, you know, so it's like there's, there's obviously a lot going on there within Timothy. So what Paul is doing here is Paul's encouraging Timothy in a couple different ways. And what's interesting is Paul doesn't just encourage Timothy, hey, you just need to, to buck up. You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to suck it up. But rather, he points to Christ as the one who strengthens him. You can see it at the beginning of chapter 2 where he says, be strengthened. You guys remember that sermon that it's a passive imperative verb. It's, a be, it's not, hey, go be strong. It's you be strengthened. So you have to have somebody else to do that. It'd be like me saying, hey, Chris, be carried across the road. You, you can't be carried by yourself. You have to have somebody else that does it for you. You have to bring somebody into it. And that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy at the beginning of chapter 2 where he says, be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, be strengthened in the gospel. And that being strengthened comes 
from being from what we're talking about here in verses 8 through 13. Being strengthened comes through remembrance. Being strengthened comes through a remembrance. And so when we look at even the words throughout this little section here, you can see the word endure comes up twice. So Paul is looking, Paul is saying to Timothy that he's not just to be excited about the gospel. He's not just to be, he's not just to, to do this for a little bit, but rather he's called to endure. And in order to endure something for a long period of time, you're going to hit the ups, you're going to hit the downs, and you need something to anchor you. In order to endure, you have to have an anchor to come back to when times are tough, and you have to have an anchor to come back to when things are great, and you have to have an anchor to come back to when things are just blah. And Paul says here that the anchor that we have for sure is Jesus, but the anchor that we have in, in the sense of what he's telling Timothy is that you need to anchor yourself in remembrance. You need to anchor yourself in remembering who God is, remembering what God has done, remembering who you are, and then remembering what that makes you able to do. So we see that in verse eight. And then, but, but even to zoom out before we jump into our, four, our three points here, I have three points about remembrance. The, the idea of remembering is not a new idea to the Bible. We've, if you've read really any of the Old Testament, we can see that the Israelites were prone to forget. They were prone to not remember. They were prone to God would do something great for them, and then next thing you know, they're complaining that God doesn't do anything for them. You know, there's this cycle of forgetfulness and remembrance and forgetfulness and remembrance. So when, when Paul rolls in here and says, you need to remember Christ Jesus, it wouldn't have been this foreign concept like, what, remember, remember what? Like, of course I remember that. It's not like a remembrance and sort of like, hey, God did this, but, re- but it's more of, hey, remember who God is in this. It's not just remember what God has done, it's remember who God is. So we even see it in scripture. I mean, I'm not gonna go to these texts, but we have three primary spaces that I, I, can, I was thinking of when I was talking about, thinking about the Old Testament. God calls the Israelites to remember through the Passover. If you remember that he's, he implemented the Passover so that the people could remember and could tell their children and their children's children that God saved them from, from Egypt. So remembrance is sort of it's connected to an object or to a uh, like a ceremony. It's connected to something. We can see that in the Passover, where the remembrance is coming from the actual ceremony, the actual meal of the Passover. And then you can see the law. The law has is is also something that we need to remember. That they talk that the Israelites were consistently called to remember what God has done for them through giving him them the law. And then the other side of it too, and this is fun because when you ever read through the Old Testament, which is usually from like January to May, so you guys are probably wrapping it up pretty soon, you'll see that the Israelites like to stack stones in random places and call them things, <laughs> you know? And so the one that, I, that came to mind was when they crossed the Jordan and Joshua, um, where they, they, they set up this altar so that when their kids, I think it's in Joshua 4, when their kids say, hey, what are these rocks over here? What do they say? The parents say, that was when we cried. That was when God was faithful to bring us across the Jordan and to give us this land because of who he is and how good he is to us. So we have these, these stones, we have these altars, we have these ceremonies, we have these meals that, that are throughout the Old Testament that call us, that call the Israelites to remember. And then also we can look to that remembrance 
as well. But, but one last thing in terms of remembrance, if you think that, oh, well, God gave them all these things to remember, so therefore the Israelites must have remembered. Um, if you ever turn to Psalm 78, there are 72 verses in that psalm, all lamenting the fact that the Israelites have forgotten. So you want to you read a depressing psalm, that's one of them. 72 verses of the forgetfulness of God's people towards him. And it's kind of summed up in verses 10 and 11, and, and I'll read this is chapter 78 of Psalms. Um, verses 10, 10 and 11 says, this sums it all up. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. So Paul begins this next little section of scripture with the, the word remember. He's reminding Timothy to remember who God is and what he has done. And this remembrance is crucial until, to enduring until the end. In order to endure tragedy, or tragedy, hardship, tragedy, 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 suffocation, hardship, tragedy, suffering, and persecution. Let's put it all together in one. We must learn to remember who God is and what he has done. So first point for today, Call, uh, Paul calls, man, I am not, you know, I'm, not on, I'm not on today, everybody. Paul calls Timothy to remember Christ Jesus. That's verse eight. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So Paul ends this last, sec last section with, think over what I say, the Lord will give you understanding, and this thinking involves remembrance. And this is, an act, this is sort of an active verb, so it's not like a one and done kind of thing. It's not like, hey, you remember. It's more of a continue to remember or go on remembering. It's, it's, it's very much like uh, the end of Matthew where it's like, go therefore and make disciples in all nations. That's not like a, hey, you go. It's more as you are going. It's the tense of that verb. That's similar to this one here where we're saying not just a command to remember, but rather continue to remember, walk in remembrance of Christ Jesus. And the first thing that Paul says, it's interesting, there's two, kind of two things that Paul highlights here in the remembrance of Jesus. First, he says, remember Christ, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. So the first thing Paul tells Timothy to remember, and us, you know, to remember, with, when we're thinking of Christ, it's the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul elaborates, obviously, this is a passionate topic for Paul. If we turn, we're not going to turn there now because we don't have time, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that entire chapter is really dedicated to the remembrance and the hope that we have in the resurrection of the dead, the hope that we have in that. So it, not only does it show where we're supposed to just remember that Christ Jesus existed, but we need to remember that he has the power to rise from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died according to, for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then if you skip down further in chapter 15, he says, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is worthless. And we are still in our sins. Like that's a, I mean, that's a statement. Christ's death on the cross wasn't enough to just to do, the, to do the whole thing. Like, it's easy to die. It's not easy to raise life from the dead. 
So, so it was like, sure, they killed Jesus and he took, their, took our sins. But if Christ has not been raised, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, we are still dead in our sins. And if we have hoped in Christ for this life only, we are, uh, we are of all men most to be pitied. And the reason for that is the life of the Christian is marked by hardship and persecution and suffering and tragedy. The world does not love us. Christianity is not something that the world is really keen on. And it's because we are comfortable in our sin and the world is comfortable in our sin. And the minute that we start saying, hey, you have sinned and you need someone to save you from it, that's a turnoff for a lot of people. And ironically, it's the thing that saves us. It's the thing that actually brings us hope is the fact that we can't make it, but we had someone who could on our behalf. So we remember Christ Jesus risen from the dead. Now, he isn't saying that we should simply remember the event of the resurrection. He doesn't say, remember the resurrection. He says, remember Christ Jesus. And he points to the resurrection to do what? To show the power of God to save even from death. Our hope is found in the one who is powerful enough to conquer death and even alive right now. So the resurrection, the hope that we have in the fact that when we die, we will be raised, is, can really just can't be overstated. It really can't be overstated. And I think that, you know, I, I talk about my sister a lot, and I probably I have some of that story later I'm going to share, but like, this never really hit me as hard as it did when Jane was like literally like on death's door I was never personally, I mean, I'm in my 30s, I'm like, I'm healthy, I've got my family, I'm not like, I'm not looking at death, you know, very often. But when you have somebody who's looking at death, that hope of resurrection is the sweetest thing. It's the sweetest thing. And you know what it does? It frees us up from anxiety and from worry. It frees us up from selfishness and selfish ambition it frees us up because we know that if we live a long, healthy life, it's a win. If we die tomorrow, it's a win. And the reason why we can do that and have that hope is because Christ died and was risen from the dead, conquering sin and death and hell and giving us the promise of not only spiritual resurrection, but resurrection on that last day to glory where all of the tears will be wiped away, all of the sadness that we feel, all of the, the scars that are in our hearts and in our souls will be mended and made whole. And we can see that because of the hope that we find, the resurrection of Jesus. The second thing that Paul tells us to remember is that he was the offspring of David. So this is sort of like the other side of the coin here, is Paul calls attention to the resurrection of Christ to show his power, to show his divinity, to show the fact that he was able to conquer. But the other side of it is, we see that he was the offspring of David. We see his humanity. Paul points to Christ's humanity. But not only does he point to Christ's humanity, that he was born and that he lived a sinless life, 
But I think that Paul's also pointing to the fact that God keeps his promises. The offspring of David is a very specific phrase. It's not like, hey, he rose from the dead and he was a human, and we didn't really care where he came from. But rather, the, throughout the Old Testament, what's the promise that, that God is consistently making? That the Messiah is going to come through the, through the line of David and save the world. So not only did Christ rise from the dead, but he did it in such a way that God fulfilled every promise that he made to the Israelites. Every single one. So the humanity of Jesus points to God's greatness and, and the faithfulness in keeping his promises just as much as the resurrection gives us the hope and the faith as well. Like, Jesus is a pretty well-rounded individual. He is, he is really helping us see the beauty of God through every facet and every aspect. It's, it's, like a gem, it's like a gem, you know? You look at it and it's like you can turn it and you see a different facet of it. The light hits it a different way and you see something new and something beautiful. That's Jesus. We see his beauty in his resurrection, but we see his beauty in his life. And we see his beauty even in where he came from. So first thing that Paul tells us to do is that he calls us to remember Jesus. And then secondly, in verse 9, he says that we can remember the power of the gospel. So we endure, Paul tells Timothy, to endure by remembering Jesus Christ. Secondly, remember the power of the gospel. We'll start at 8 and read through. Remember Jesus Christ, remember risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. So Paul is obviously in prison. He is bound the, you know, his enemies, in their minds, they think they're winning. They're like, this guy's causing us a lot of trouble. He's converting a lot of people. He's causing a lot of issues. He's calling us out on our sin. We're just going to go ahead and bind him up, throw him in a dark prison, and we'll just kill him. Problem solved. But Paul goes on to say, but the word of God is what? Not bound. It's amazing that the harder people try to squash the gospel, the more it goes, the further it goes, the more powerful it becomes. You see this through the martyrs. You see this through people who were literally singing hymns as they were burned alive in town squares. You know what it did? It didn't cause the townspeople to say, ah, you know what, like, I'm not, I'm not into this Jesus thing. It caused the townspeople to, to run to it. Because for someone to be so in love with Jesus that they're willing to die a horrific death shows the power and the joy that can come through following that man. It's, an, it's, it's incredible. So what Paul is saying is that the power of the gospel transcends each and every one of our outcomes. So Paul is bound the gospel's not bound. Timothy's afraid of being bound. Timothy's afraid of failing. Timothy is afraid of walking in the shoes of one of the greatest apostles. But Paul says, you know what? Power of God, the power of the gospel, is that it, will, it is not bound. It's going to go. It's going to catch fire. And it's going to transform people. Because it's primarily a miraculous thing that God himself does in us. It's not a human construct it's not a five-step program. It is a transformation by the God of the universe of individual people so that they can live eternally with him.
So Paul says to Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, but he also says to remember the, remember the power of the good news that he has given. So the good news that we have been saved into should give us confidence, knowing that no matter what happens to us, it will still go forth in the world and we will still find joy and we will still enter into glory because the gospel is powerful and the resurrection allows us to walk into life. And then lastly, in verses 11 through 13, Paul calls Timothy to remember God's character. To remember God's character. We talk about remembering Jesus Christ. We talked about remembering the power of the gospel. And then lastly, remembering God's character. So we've talked about this a thousand times. Identity always comes before behavior. Throughout the entirety of the New Testament, at least, you, especially in Paul's letters, you can see that God identifies who he is, what he has done, and then who we are, and then what we do. So Ephesians is the classic example. Chapters 1 through 3 are really God-centric, talking about who God is, talking about who we were, talking about what he's done for us, who we have become in him. And then he says at the beginning of chapter 4, therefore, do all of these things. So it's, it's, it's always this God's character, who God is, informs what God does, and then who we are informs what we do. Paul points to God's character here in this little, this little hymn, poem situation in verses 11 through 13. So we can see God's character here. Um, so he says, this, this saying is trustworthy. So in this phrase, this saying is trustworthy, appears five times in First and Second Timothy and Titus, it does not appear anywhere else in the New Testament. The saying is trustworthy. So I think what Paul does with this little phrase is he's, he's really, what he's doing is he's taking a commonly understood idea or even like poem or hymn and he's, he's making another point out of it. So he's saying this saying is trustworthy and people would be like, oh yeah, okay, I know what this is. So this was probably a creed or some sort of hymn that was sung um, within the church. And the first two lines of this are positive in nature. The second two lines of this are sort of negative in form. So we'll walk through them together. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. So this is primarily referring to, I think, the spiritual aspect of death. So it's like when Romans chapter 6, you know, where he says we've been buried with him in baptism um, into death so that we, we too might walk in the newness of life. So like if we, have died to our, if we have died with Christ, we will also live with Christ. It's very reminiscent of that Romans chapter 6 piece. But I think Paul is also pointing towards the fact that if we do physically die, as he is on his way to, that, we, that God is faithful to also live, that, we, that he will also live as well. And then the second line, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So we can see here that the endurance of our faith has an outcome. Romans, or Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, is, a, is, is a, a verse that I've constantly struggled with over the course of my life. And it says, it says, like, we are to believe that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So there's two things here that, Paul, that the writer of Hebrews says. He says that we must believe that he exists, but the second thing is not, the second thing is interesting to me. It's that we are to 
believe that he rewards those who seek him. And I've always struggled with that idea that God's going to reward me for doing, for seeking after him. And when I think that through and I process that through and I sort of roll it around like, why is that such a big deal to me? And I think it's because I don't see God as a God that wants to give me good things. I don't, I don't see a God that wants to give me life and give me peace and give me joy. This line here says, because in my mind I'm thinking, well, if I endure, I get into heaven. Like I just get to be there, you know, which is great. But this line says, if we endure, what do we do? We get to reign with him. If we endure through the, till the end, we don't just get to get in, but we get to reign alongside of him. God rewards those who diligently seek him. If we die, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. And then we, it makes this shift in the back half of verse 12. If we deny him, he will also deny us. This is not an, unco- this is not an uncommon thing for us to know. I mean, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is pretty clear about if you're going to deny me before the Father, like, I'm going to deny you. <laughs> or if you're going to deny me, I'm going to deny you um, before the Father. This, what's interesting in this last, the last line here is, when we, is what you think is going to happen doesn't happen. If you're following the pattern, it's positive, positive, died with him, live with him. Next one, endure, reign with him, positive, positive. Next one, deny him, he denies you, negative, negative. And then there's this, the last line, what does it say? If we are faithless, negative, what do you think the next one should be? Negative. But what does it say? If we are faithless, he remains what? Faithful. And Paul closes this out, and this is where God's character comes into play. He closes out this this line by saying, for he cannot deny himself. God's faithfulness is rooted in who he is. God is incapable of being unfaithful because he cannot deny the very core of who he is. He can't do it. It's weird to talk about things that God can't do. But God can't be unfaithful. The beauty of that last line is that that has nothing to do with our measure of faith. It has nothing to do with how strong we feel like our faith is. It doesn't matter how how well we behave. It doesn't matter. We look at, God, at the faithlessness, which I feel like I walk in often, I can feel like God is disappointed or he's frustrated or that he's going to walk away from me or he's going to give me bad things because I did bad things. But this verse says, if we are faithless, then he remains faithful. The character of God is, is, is faithfulness. He is faithful because of who he is. So when remembering God's character, it's going to solve a lot of problems for a lot of us, myself included. Most of us think that our problems can be solved by us doing more things, changing more things, being better people. But really, the problem that we need to solve is not really those things. It's all downstream. The problem that we need to solve is who do we think God is? Do we believe that he loves us? that he is the embodiment of love? Do we believe that he's faithful? He's the embodiment of faithfulness. Do we believe that he keeps his promises because he's a promise keeper? 
Do we believe those things or do we have doubt in those things? Are we unsure about those things? And then how do we fix that? If we do believe that God is, is unfaithful, if we do believe that God doesn't love us, what can we do to be able to bring that idea back into our hearts? And I think it's through uh, remembrance. I think it's remembering what God has done in the scriptures, but also remembering what God has done in our own lives. So just to get like super practical here, like I'm just super practical. The, this line right here of the, faith, the faithlessness, faithfulness, he cannot deny himself line is one that has been, again, very difficult for me uh, to really grab a hold of. Because sometimes when I look at my life, I look at my sister's death, I look at the things that I've gone through, I look at my friends who are going through difficulties, it's easy for me to look at those situations and circumstances and say, God, you have been unfaithful. You haven't answered my prayers. You haven't given me what I wanted. I'm looking at your word and you say you're a healer and you haven't healed. Like that seems like faith, that does seems like unfaithfulness to me. But when I go back over my life and I look back over time and I remember moments of God's faithfulness, it brings me back to the, it just brings me back. So it was about two years ago, I was in, I was in California, um, and I was, in the, I was in the hospital with, with Jane, my sister. And she, we'd been there, and she is, she's in a rough shape. She's like literally dying before my eyes. You know, her liver is not doing great. She's jaundiced. She's distended. I'm walking. And it was COVID at the time. So no guests, no other visitors could be there. My mom and my brother were there. They had to stay outside. They couldn't go up and see her. I was the only one allowed to be in there, and I couldn't leave. And I'm sitting there, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, just heal her, just heal her, just heal her, just heal her, just heal her. And I'm, and I'm like, what? And I'm like, it's just not seeming to work, you know? And, and there was just something in me that shifted. Something in me that, something in me that shifted I just started praying, Lord, like, just don't let her die here. If she's going to die, don't let her die here with me alone with, without anybody else. So my prayer shifted. My prayers went from heal her to, Lord, please just allow her to live long enough for us to get out of here. As a couple days go by, I'm just praying that. Doctor comes in and says, hey, you know what? We were going to send her to hospice inpatient, but we're just going to send her home. So we take her home. My mom and my brother come pick her up from the airport, and we, and we go. Um, we go back home. And get her all set up, you know. And just like, I sort of just moved on in my prayers from there, you know, like, just didn't even think about it. Because I was just so happy to be out. And she goes, she goes home and, and she passes away five days later. She gets to pass away at home. At home. She was there. 
and I'm going back through some of her poetry and stuff like that. And this is a poem that she had written uh, during her cancer journey. And it's called, If I Was to Die. If I was to die, it would be with the reflection of the mountains in my eyes. I would die with sun pink cheeks and a mouthful of blackberries. I want to die while my heart is still a greenhouse for hope and all my wild dreams as seedlings and egg cartons reaching towards the window. I cannot die yellow and hungry and I will not die in sterile air. But I would like to die where fi while, fi while the fireflies are still glowing, morse coding their poetry for the cynical earth. I would like to die like Joan of Arc with dignity and urgency and stubbornness as a watercolor portrait in the night a sight to behold, a hero in flames. And when I read that poem, the realization hit me that the Lord was faithful to answer my prayers and hers. She didn't want to die in the hospital. I didn't want her to die in the hospital. And I prayed 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 for her to be healed. And it, and it didn't happen. But I had forgotten that I had prayed and I had prayed and I had prayed and I had prayed that she would not be able, that she wouldn't die there. And it reminded me that even though God doesn't answer all of our prayers the way that he wants to answer them, he still shows us his faithfulness in answering our, our prayers. And I have to remember that because personally, I still struggle with anger and frustration and, and at God for not answering the prayers that I want him to pray, that want him to answer. And what I have to do on a very consistent basis is I have to look back to this moment where God actually answered my prayer. He actually answered it. I saw it. And he brings this back to my mind. I remember Christ Jesus and his faithfulness. I remember the resurrection hope that I have that I will see Jane again. I have to remember those things because if I don't remember those things, I go down a path of anger and bitterness and frustration. But instead, I need to, when I remember what Christ has done, I remember the faithfulness in my life, I remember the faithfulness in her life, it allows me to lean into his character and it allows me to know him a little more deeply than I did before. So some of us today have a, a skewed view of the character of God. Myself first in line. Timothy is called to remember Christ Jesus and the hope of his resurrection and the power of the gospel and the faithfulness and the character of God. And that's what we are called to do today. Is that in the frustrations of our lives and this, the tragedy and the hardship, we get to find hope in the beauty of who God is. So some of the things I think that we should ask ourselves as we walk away and as we walk in, as we sort of transition into a time of, of singing and worshiping the Lord. I think we need to ask ourselves, where have we forgotten the goodness of God in our hearts and in our lives? 
What are some of the things that God has done in our lives that we can look back to and remember his faithfulness? Prayer, like prayer journals are really helpful in this way, where it's like you write down your prayers and then you because you get the opportunity to write down the answers <laughs> and you get to go back and look through those journals and see just that thousands of times God has been faithful that we have forgotten about. And I think the difficulty for some of us is that we try to remember alone. So the question is, do we have people that we can bring into our remembrance? Because I forget things all the time. And if I don't have people in my life reminding me of the truth of the gospel, reminding me of the faithfulness of God, reminding me of the truth that is in front of me, it's very easy for me to just be a forgetful, angry person. The value of Christian community cannot be overstated. We need to remember together. We need to mourn together. We need to pray together. Because when we are anchored and we are rooted in remembrance, no matter what we walk through, we will have something to come back to. So just like we have, the Israelites had their stack of stones next to the river, we need to have our own proverbial stacks of stones in our lives that we come back to and that we remember at and that we celebrate God's faithfulness in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, thank you for your faithfulness in my life. God, thank you for your faithfulness in Chris's life. Thank you for your faithfulness in this church's life. God, I pray that we would be able to cut past all of the, the things that cloud us in our day-to-day and be able to look straight into the beauty of who you are and that we can take verse 13 and we can write it down and we can say, he cannot deny himself. He has the inability to be unfaithful. He's never been unfaithful. Lord, help us remember that. Help us sit in that. Help us walk in that. Lord, I pray that you would help us. That you would help us be vulnerable enough to bring people in to our lives. That you would give us the right people to remember with. So that no matter what comes down the road, we get to be anchored to the fact that you are God and you are good. We ask these things in your beautiful name.